are featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are ALS Association, American Indian College Fund, Delivering Good. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked-about charities. I'm Art Taylor, your host. This is our 4th of July 2023 edition. It's impossible to do a show today on the nonprofit sector without acknowledging the significance of this day. This Declaration of Independence started perhaps the most significant democracy ever created in the history of the world. And it continues to thrive today. Although we know the benefits and the burdens of that Declaration of Independence and later the creation of the United States has not always been distributed equally. We're reminded of this this week when the Supreme Court ruled that affirmative action in college admissions is essentially over. We can no longer, colleges and universities that is, can no longer use race as a factor in admission decisions. I have seen many arguments both for and against this decision some of which I agree with and others that I don't. I don't know whether and how much is actually even used today. I will say that if it weren't for affirmative action, I probably would not have been admitted to my undergraduate alma mater, Franklin and Marshall College. I am certain that given the admission criteria of the time, and I need to emphasize that, the admission criteria of the time, this was back in uh, the mid-70s, there were probably more qualified white students who were denied admission to F&M, a highly selective liberal arts college with a mostly white student body, faculty, and administration. Now, I graduated from high school in the top 10% of my class at South Philadelphia High School in 1976. And I received the Top Scholar Athlete Award. Many colleges expressed interest in me 
because I was a pretty good basketball and baseball player. And I was also a decent student. What I didn't know at the time was that my high school was different from ones that most FNM students attended. Their schools were highly rated public and private institutions with more rigorous curricula and academic programming. My classmates were generally better prepared for college, writing more fluently and excelling in higher level math and science classes. I had to work really hard to catch up and I was never able to academically compete with many of them at the level that I expected. I quickly realized that if I wanted to graduate, I had to work harder than ever before while trying to play two sports. But with determination and support from faculty and fellow students, I managed to graduate. And more importantly, I believe when I graduated, whether it was true or not, that I had as much chance of living a great life and contributing to society as anyone else. And also, given the opportunity to attend FNM, I felt I had a responsibility to make something meaningful out of my education. Now, I'll leave it up to others to judge the significance of my career as a leader in the social sector, as an educator teaching at perhaps one of the most uh, influential and significant uh, academic institutions, two of them, in fact. I'm a father and a husband. If I hadn't benefited from affirmative, affirmative action and had gone to another college, who knows what would have happened. But I am certain that while I received a lot from FNM, my alma mater, I also contributed a great deal, both as a student and as an alum, very active on campus as a student. And as an alum, I probably won every award that an alumnus can win, including its highly touted uh, medal for uh, alumni participation. I've been on a board of trustees there for almost uh, 26 years. Now, let me just say that Affirmative action is not perfect, and it really wasn't intended to be perfect. It was trying to deal with something that was itself imperfect. You were adding an imperfect solution to something that in and of itself is imperfect. But I'll tell you this. It gave me a chance to receive a world-class education. And it gave a lot of other people who were similarly situated as me a chance to attend great institutions, get degrees and contribute to workplaces and society at large. And now I think colleges and universities will have to find ways to identify and admit underrepresented students of color like me. And I worry that that could mean the end of opportunities for such students with backgrounds like mine. And it's going to be largely up to 
those colleges, universities, and our society at large to identify those ways of creating opportunity for students who don't seem to match what the traditional qualifications are for entrance into some of these institutions. Now, I'll say that, um, again, this isn't a perfect world that we live in, Um, certainly not perfect for those of us who've been oppressed by systemic racism and other forms of of segregation and uh, lack of inclusion. And it's up to all of us to try to address this in some way if we want to see our country thrive. And that's what's so important about today, the 4th of July, 2023. Very different than the 4th of July, 1980, when I graduated college. In today's world, I think we see that businesses, nonprofit organizations, institutions of all types, government, must have diverse backgrounds in their workplaces because, frankly, if they don't, they're not going to have the best ideas. They're not going to have the most customers that they can garner. They're not going to generate the most profits. They're not going to serve the best people, the most people who need help. They're going to be problems for organizations that fail to include and bring in and honor and acknowledge and treat fairly people of all backgrounds. The times are different than they were in 1976 when I graduated high school and in 1980 when I graduated college. The country is becoming increasingly diverse. And that means that we all must find a way to manage this diversity, to make sure that everyone capable is given an opportunity and not just give that lip service. You're going to hear excerpts of a speech of mine in just a bit that I had the honor of giving at the Salvation Army's annual gathering, and they called it Better Together. I was asked to speak to them about a variety of topics on my mind, one of which was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm going to leave you with that speech because, again, I believe that in order for us to thrive, we have to find ways to do what affirmative action did, but do it legally. We have to find ways of including and engaging people of all backgrounds, all backgrounds, if our country is going to thrive because the future says so. The future is going to require this. So I leave you with this talk and I would love to hear your thoughts on it because frankly, we need to hear from everyone on this. We can't just leave this with the Supreme Court. It's up to us as citizens to decide. We need to hear from people on all sides of this issue people who agree with the decision, people who don't agree. And we need to find ways to work together to make sure that we operate, as you'll hear in my speech, from a position of abundance and not fear.
Happy Fourth, everyone. Now, let me move on to diversity. Again, here's another speech in and of itself. Don't have enough time to get in everything. But I'm going to touch on some points. This is a tough area. It's always been difficult. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is, a, is an area of life that we are beginning to come to grips with. Let me tell you a story. My story is I was an accountant. Ken mentioned that. I grew up, got a college degree, and got the good fortune of being hired to work in a public accounting firm, one of the big eight accounting firms in 1980. There were 195 professionals in this office, really bright people. All of them were white except me. This is 1980. In fact, in the city of Philadelphia, where I grew up, there were probably 10 CPAs in eight major accounting firms. 10 black CPAs in eight major accounting firms. So this was rare. I was rare. So what happens is they bring you in, and I started with a group of 24 people, and they sit you down and give you a few weeks of orientation after which you're assigned audits. They send you out in teams to work on audits. Everyone was assigned except me. Everyone was assigned except me. I sat in the office a few weeks before I finally decided to go to the hiring, market, hiring manager and say, what's going on here? Why can't I get on a job? And he says, well, we're working on it. When I thought about it, I realized that there was probably some dynamics going on that I could not accept. First of all, it's likely that there were clients that this firm had that did not want to see a black person in their offices working on their books. Didn't want to see it. Secondly, because there were so few black accountants Everyone just assumed that we were probably bad and that we were just token hires. Well, how do you know if a person can do it if you haven't given them a chance? I mean, I graduated from a great institution for public accounting and I couldn't get on a job. So this firm was very interested to some extent in diversity. They wanted to get us in there. But they weren't interested in including me and treating me with equity so that I could actually have a chance to succeed. Now, back then, there was no concern about the business. The business was doing just fine. So we couldn't really make a business case for me getting a chance to succeed in this place. But that's not the world today. The growing diversity of our markets and of our businesses and of our society almost demands that if companies are going to be successful, that you have to consider diversity. Now we're past talking about diversity, we're talking a bit more about inclusion, access, and so forth. But it's still hard. We don't quite know what to do yet. And the biggest challenge I think we have is that we haven't approached this problem 
from a point of abundance. We've approached this problem like we do in many things from a sense of scarcity. We feel like if we give people a chance to succeed from diverse backgrounds, that others, the incumbents, are going to lose. You know, see, we were all raised playing this game, musical chairs, right? There are 11 chairs and 15 kids. And the music comes on and we're marking around these chairs and suddenly the music stops and we have to butt each other out to get a chair. Some kids get left out. And then it goes again. They take away another chair, take away another. Finally, there's one chair left. That's scarcity. We have to approach diversity, equity, and inclusion in a different way. We have to ask them to play this game differently. We have to say, yes, there are too few chairs than there are people, maybe. But if we all work together, we can find a way to rearrange these chairs into benches so that everyone can sit down. Give that a hand. There is a way for everyone to sit down and have room left over. We don't have to be afraid that people are going to lose because others get opportunity. The point of diversity, equity, inclusion should be that we build more than we had before, that we create new markets, that we get new ideas, that everyone rises because of this. That's what we have to achieve, folks. So we have to, as I said, approach this from a standpoint of abundance. Then we have to do the work. And it's great to have a chief diversity officer. It's great to bring in speakers to talk about it. I'm happy to come in and talk more about it. But the real work is in looking at every system, structure, every practice, every policy, every procedure, every cultural moray, and asking ourselves, is there anything inside of these that we do that are holding people back from achieving what God has in store for them? What's holding them back? And if there are things that are holding people back that are keeping us from rising, then we have to do the work and ask ourselves, are we willing to change? Now, there may be some things that we say, nope, we're not changing that. Because we don't think that is as big a problem as it could be. And every company, by the way, every organization is going to find that we can't just let everybody show up as their authentic self. We can't do that. Because there are some authentic things about me that you would not want me to bring into the workplace. So that's fair. But we have to ask ourselves, 
when we are not making certain changes and when we're asking people to sacrifice something about their authentic self, are we spreading the pain equally? Is everybody sacrificing something for the good? And are some of those sacrifices that we're asking disproportionate and that should be mitigated in some way? It's a balancing act. It's not easy, as I said. But that's what has to happen if we're going to get the most from these diversity, equity, and inclusion activities, and if we're going to get the benefit from this great diversity that we have in our country. Last thing on this. The Salvation Army, I learned, and I should have known this because you're everywhere, has a program in every single zip code. Everyone. Give that a hand. Which also means that the diversity of this country is touched by you. Whether you know it or not, it's there. You see it, you live it, you experience it. And one of the things we have to do is find ways to bridge differences. We live in the most polarized times in the history, in my lifetime for sure, but I would gather in most of your lifetimes. I don't know if we've ever seen a time where we have so many people living in tribes. Social media helps a lot with that. We can all find our tribe to live in. But we're not talking to each other. We're letting the algorithms decide who we talk to. We're letting social media dictate who our friends are, who we should care about, who matters. We've got to find ways to break through those filter bubbles and talk to real people who are different than we are. We may not like what they have to say. It's okay. We may not agree with what they have to say. But you know, in the end, everybody wants the same thing. We want to be able to eat. We want to have a house over our head. We want to have a hope that the future can be a little bit better than it is today. We all want that. And what we have to do is talk to each other just long enough so that we can find those common points and build trust and get past all of the hurt and the pain that we're experiencing, all of the fears that hold us from being human to each other, that keep us from loving each other. And then we'll break a breakthrough. We have to do that. And the Salvation Army can not only do this great work for its institutions, but by being better together, you can show this nation how it's done. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. 
to show this nation how it's done. This isn't a political speech. I didn't say anything about us political. I'm not political here. I'm talking about how we build this country into the great healing engine that it can be. For those of you who are listening for the first time, I really want to encourage you to subscribe to the Heart of Giving podcast. And you can also make a gift to the show by going to give.org. And we will put that money to great use. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you back here next week. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.